You're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. The session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn about this new translation and the many ways you can enjoy the CSB. Explore online when you visit csbible.com. Welcome to In the Studio with Michael Card, a weekly podcast. We have a mixture of what we call classic programs, Michael. Mm-hmm. We've been doing this a while, haven't we? Yeah, we have. You know, classic, and in another couple of years, we'll be calling them antique. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are a classic. so and then we uh, No, mix I'm an antique. Newer, I'm an antique. <laughs> we mix in some newer conversations <laughs> on this podcast as well. It makes for, uh, for I think, great listening, and our, our listeners seem to appreciate it. So. Well, the good news is we've we've uh, done we've spent time with people that it's worth repeating. So many there of the people go. that we've yep. spent time with. It's our friends. Speaking yes. of our friends, Ginny Owens is one who's going to talk with us here in just a moment. Now, this is a young lady you really think highly of. I do. And this is a new piece. So uh, this isn't a classic piece, Wayne. <laughs> this, is a, this is a new piece. And Ginny, it, she's, she's one of my favorite people. Um, I just, uh, we, we've toured together some. We've written songs together. And uh, I think so much of her. She's, so it's great to have her on the show. And she's so insightful when it comes to scripture. Yeah. In the second half today, uh, Kevin Belmonte will join us. He's a biographer. He's written such great biographies. But I remember on one of these podcasts one time, you and he got talking about a guy I'd never heard of named Maltby Babcock. And I asked him if he would be interested in, in uh, starting a book and researching Maltby Babcock, and he did. And he's going to talk about that in That's the second right. half of the program. You'll have to stay tuned to find out who Maltby Babcock is. Yes, one of, he's not, also one of my heroes. So, yeah, that'll be good. one of those household names, but somebody who's very important to the faith. So yes. That's all coming up in a few moments here in the studio with Michael Card. We are now part of the Lifeway Podcast Network, which means we have new listeners joining us all the time. Yes. So thank you, especially uh, welcome to those of you who are joining us via Lifeway. We're very thankful for the partnership we have with Lifeway and the CSB Bible now. And Wayne, I haven't said this yet, but my grandfather actually helped start the Baptist bookstore, which became Lifeway. So we're kind of riding on my grandfather Card's shoulders here. How about that? Well, yeah, he would thank, be proud. Thank you, today, George Card, up there in heaven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'd be very proud today. Uh, your book, The Nazarene, 40 Devotions on the Lyrical Life of Jesus, is uh, been, is out and has been out for a couple of weeks now, and I think it's getting great reviews. I, I've talked to several people, and I've seen lots of Facebook comments about your book. Well, if, if people like this form, uh, that's 40 songs. I've got 400 more songs that I can write essays on. So <laughs> okay. I would we'll love hold to, you to that. I would love to stay home and just write essays for the rest of my life. That would be a pretty cool way to live. And we will read them. We'll hold you to that. Okay. All right. Well, Ginny Owens is coming up, but we're going to talk about uh, John 11. And this is the perfect song to set this up because the song you wrote comes from John 11, Jesus Wept. Here's Michael Card. Still they're both the same 
Martha's grasping at some vague religious hope, endless anxiety. She can barely cope, but Mary's gasping with her own hopeful fear. Lazarus would not have died if you had been here. Did Jesus weep for their disbelief, or did he cry? Because his friend had died, took on himself all of their pain and fear, explained the mystery of his silent tears. He stood beside the tomb of his beloved friend. And shouted out those words they could not comprehend. Then rose the smiling corpse, familiar silhouette. It was a moment that they never would forget. Jesus wept that day, mysterious silent tears. The reason that he cried never will be clear. But there's one certain thing. For now that we can say, he had come to wipe all our tears away. Did Jesus weep for their disbelief, or did he cry because his friend had died? Took on himself all of our pain and fear, explained the mystery of. His silent tears. Song, of course, comes from John chapter eleven, and we want to talk about this chapter now. This story of Jesus weeping and the whole story of Lazarus. Ginny Owens is on the line with us, Mike. So let's uh, let's dig in here. What do you say? Yeah. Hello there, good friend. Hello. It is lovely to be with you today. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for letting me join. I love talking about this passage in particular, so I'm really excited that we're going to get to do this. Well, what is it about the passage you like to talk about, Jenny? You know, I have found this passage so helpful uh, in my faith journey at so many points just to think about the fact that Jesus weeping here is not even just a response to to death, but it's a response to the emotional pain that his friends are dealing with. You know, I I just, I'm so moved by the fact that Jesus knows what he's going to do. He knows that he uh, will be able to raise Lazarus from the dead, and yet he weeps uh, because of just the depth of his pain, because of how much he hates death, Mm. and uh, because of how much he hates to see his friends in such deep pain. And so, for me, that is just always hopeful, knowing that whatever suffering I'm going through, he he doesn't just kind of say, you know, they're there, daughter, they're there, sister. <laughs> he says, I weep with you. I, I am crying with you uh, through your pain. Well, I think that that that's, that is exactly what happens, because Mar- he talks to Martha. Martha says exactly the same thing to him as Mary. If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And he talks to Martha. But when Mary says exactly the same thing to him, he sees her weeping, he cries. So it's like Martha needed to talk to him, 
And Mary needed to see his tears, so he gave her exactly what she needed. So I think you're onto something there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It is very beautiful how Jesus uh, in this passage. I feel like the whole the whole of John 11, Jesus is giving uh, all the people around him what they need to see him yeah. more clearly. Like he does it with the disciples, right? He says, "Oh well, I you know we're going to go uh, after he's already asleep." so that you can see uh, what it is that I am capable of doing. Um, And and even for the Jews that are with him as they go, you know, he speaks as he raises Lazarus from the dead. He speaks to Mary and Martha and their friends, the Jewish friends that are there. And he says to the Lord, I'm speaking this, you know, so that, so that everyone here will know Mm -hmm. that it is you that sent me. Mm -hmm. And so it is pretty beautiful just how throughout this passage, Jesus is meeting each person exactly where they are. Well, let's look at the text here. Um, Ginny, I understand you have your Bible there in Braille, right? I do. I do, yes. And, and it's a CSB Bible, which we have in front of us as well. So uh, yes, why, don't you pick, why don't you pick out a section of this chapter and read to us? We'd, we'd love to hear you. All right. Why, uh, why don't you start, start in verse 32? Start in 32. You got it. Yeah. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. Okay, cool. That Greek, the Greek word there that's used for uh, weep, dacrosen, is, um, dacru is the word for tear. And it, it it sort of implies silently weeping. Clio is the word for boohooing. Just uh, we get our word cry from that word. But adacrison is him. Uh, you know, it's just kind of a tear. It's the image of a tear going down his his, uh, his cheek. And I think. Um, and you said this before, Jenny. He's he's not just weeping for one thing. We used to argue about why he was crying. I think he's crying for all kinds of things. He's crying when he sees Mary mm-hmm. weep. He's crying that it's a death-impregnated world. He's dying, crying because no one understands him. He's crying because in a week he's going to be, in about a week, he's going to be in the tomb himself. So um, it's a very complicated moment, isn't it? It is. Mm-hmm. It is. And his emotion, you know, kind of captures our imagination, I think, in the sense that we remember Oh, Jesus was actually human. As much as he was divine, he was also a hundred percent human, and he yeah. was overwhelmed. He was moved by his emotion for sure. Yeah, and, he, and so and so he wouldn't just cry because Lazarus has had died because he's going to go right. and raise him. I mean, he knows that he's clearly aware that that he has the power to do that. And I have one more question. You alluded to it, but I want to hear what you think uh, that odd little prayer that he does where he's basically praying to the Father, but he's saying, I'm saying this for the people standing here so they can hear this. So it's this conversation that he's having with the Father, but at the same time, it's it's not really for the Father to hear, it's for the people to hear. Um, yeah. yeah. That's an interesting prayer to me. It is, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I yeah, said this I mean, for I, the I, people. I love how it shows his love. For the people that that are around him, you know that he he wants them to believe 
Um, mm-hmm. I love how to think about how the people reading John's gospel, um, who would have been in a really dark time of persecution, the early church, they would have heard this and seen, oh, Jesus really was, he was real, he was a human, he was divine, he was all these things, and he testifies to the fact that he is Messiah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what else about that? Tell me. Tell me your thoughts well, on that prayer. Well, um, I, again, I think there's one other prayer where he, he, he does the same thing. He alludes to the fact that the Father's kind of listening in. Um, but you, you, no one could make this up. It's just it, there are right. too many layers. It's uh, and, and the, the the last thing I always think of in this story is that you know he's raises Lazarus from the dead. Well, in a, a couple of days when he enters Jerusalem, for the so-called triumphal entry, Lazarus is with him, and right. um, you know the the Jews decide we're going to have to kill this guy. We don't believe in the resurrection. The priests the priests don't believe in resurrection. We got a resurrected guy with him. We're going to have to just destroy the evidence. So it's right. just so many things, so many things going on. Mm-hmm. I know, and it's amazing to just think that Jesus would. Uh, because of his love for the Father, because of his love for us, you know, he so he he resurrects Lazarus, but he allows himself to be nailed to that cross. Mm, he does not yeah. he does not ask for angels to come. He has the power to resurrect, and he has the power to stay mm. and and to yes. you know to be cursed yeah. for us. And that's like so incredibly moving to me. Yeah, and he he will use his power for other people. He will never use his power for himself. He will he will make mm-hmm. bread and feed the five thousand. But when he's hungry, he doesn't create bread for himself. He yeah. always uses yeah, his wow. power. He's the man for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the resurrection, uh, we started at verse thirty-two, but verse twenty-five. Every time I hear the death of a saint, this is the first thing that comes to my mind: the words of Jesus, "I am the resurrection and the life." Yeah. The one who mm-hmm. believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone yeah. who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? <laughs> Those may be the most encouraging words he ever spoke. Mm-hmm. And that's saying a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. <laughs> All right. Well, let's continue talking with Ginny, but let's pause for a song uh, here from you, Mike. And by the way, this uh, this is also in your book, The Nazarene, your new book. Uh-huh. Uh, the 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 chapter on in memory of her love. Um, tell me about the song. We'll hear it, and then we'll talk about it with Jenny. Well, and let me just as a sidebar, let me say there uh, a, a lot of songs that Jenny and I have written together that are in that book. Um, but in, in memory of her love is um, one of the another one of the many amazing things Jesus uh, says when Mary anoints him. And he he memorializes what she she did. He never says anything remotely like this about anyone but her. Uh, but he says, uh, from now on, whenever the gospel is preached, uh, this story will be told in memory of her. Imagine Jesus saying something like that. And what and what is what had she done? She anointed his head. Yeah, yeah. We'll turn to Mark chapter fourteen as Michael sings for us. Now this is. A song recorded in the studio from Michael Card, and then Ginny will talk about it afterwards, okay? Now at last the time had come, this moment had been waiting. 
With her alabaster jar, the woman came to give. It was all she had to give. Pouring out the sweet perfume down across his forehead, but some of them began to fume. What this waste was for, it should be spent upon the poor. Let her be; it's beautiful to me. And you will have the poor, and they'll be with you always. But can't you see? You'll not always have me, and the fragrance of her gift will always be remembered. She has done all she could do, pouring perfume on my body. She has prepared me for the tomb, though she never knew this was what she came to do. Let her be; it's beautiful to me. And you will have the poor, and they'll be with you always. But can't you see? You'll not always have me. And the fragrance of her gift will always be remembered. What she has done will never fade from the memory of the gospel. When it is preached around the world, it will be spoken of in memory of her love. An incredibly beautiful song and such an amazing passage. I marvel at at this and so many other passages and, and who it is that we hear about <laughs> in Scripture. You know, we don't we rarely hear about the rich, cool, popular people. It is always the broken, the mm. humble, uh, the people who pour out all that they have. Um, and um, I, I do love that that this woman in in her you know in her sort of brokenness, um, in her womanhood, even, you know, she comes and makes this public display of faith. And as Michael mentioned before we heard the song that, um, that Jesus says, this is what people are going to hear about when they hear the gospel. And it makes me think just of how we receive the gospel, you know, not Mm -hmm. as sort of, uh, people that this just somehow improves our lives in some way. But we receive the gospel, um, when we receive it, uh, we receive it as truly broken people who have been able to, uh, have been given the gift of the greatest news ever, of the, of the greatest hope ever. And so, and so then we, like this woman, should, you know, live public displays of faith in our action, in the way that we love Jesus, in the way that we love others. So, um those are some of my initial thoughts on on this passage. Michael, help enlighten me with your thoughts well, on this passage. Well, I, I I think 
I, I'm a, I'm the nuts and bolts guy. You you you're seeing more of the heart of the story, which is uh, uh, which is what you would would expect from a woman reading a passage about this. Thing. <laughs> well, uh, the incredible love that this woman is is lavishing on Jesus. I mean, I'm looking at the details. You know, John 12 says that um, this was Mary. So uh, mm-hmm. we know that we know that Jesus and Mary have this really special intuitive sort of relationship we we saw her before uh, Jesus weeping with her and um at the raising of her brother and now Jesus is back and uh and and Mary I don't know if maybe she's one of the only people who really understands that something horrible is about to happen I don't know if she knows he's uh he's been clearly saying he's going to be crucified in 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 all kinds of detail Maybe she's one of the only people that understood that because Jesus says she's done this for my burial. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know she's she's leading with her heart and and um, maybe she she uh, understood that he needed someone to show him some kind of compassion and gentleness, and she seems to be the the only person who kind of got that. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Jenny, can I ask you once again to read a passage from Mark chapter 14? Sure. Why don't we uh, go verses 3 through 9 there? Uh, we, we, sure. This is such a familiar story, but every time we hear the Scripture, there's something else, isn't there? Something new. And, Absolutely. Uh, and I, I didn't have to coax you to go find your CSB Bible. You had it right in front of you today, didn't you? <laughs> I did, yes. I, I love using the CSB. <laughs> okay. So, probably, All right, let's listen. Good. All right, so um, Mark 14. So... While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar and very expensive perfume of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured it on his head. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, and you can do what is good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me with you. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Okay, Mike, here's what stuck out to me, really kind of for the first time. I haven't thought about this before. She has done a noble thing for me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, and uh, that that's the same word that we translate, beautiful. It, it's a hard word to translate, and, and you can tell that the translators in, in this situation decided what the context um, indicated that it should be translated noble. She she's done a noble thing for me, but it's it, it, you know, words are just so um, words don't mean just one yeah. thing, right? <laughs> Inadequate, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, she she's done this in, incredible thing, and again, I think what I'm seeing for the first time is that she she seems to understand as no one else does that something's about to happen. I mean, what are the disciples doing? The disciples are. Uh, vying for which place they can have his left or his right hand. Mm-hmm. And in the very next verse, Judas goes and betrays him. It, uh, Mary alone seems to understand and, and be tuned into, intuitively tuned into, you know, the fact that 
something something really big is about to happen, and uh, I need to do this while I can. I need to show him this love while I can. Yeah, and that is a very noble thing. Yeah. Well, I wish we had more time here, but this has been such a rich conversation. Mm. I do want to save just a few seconds though, because the next song we're going to hear is a collaboration between the two of you. Amen. Uh, which one of you want to talk about "Come as You Are"? <laughs> you go. I'll add. You start. <laughs> well, uh, uh, my memory is not is not as good as it used to be, but uh, but my memory is I started this song, and then I needed your youthful enthusiasm to finish it, and you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you I love took, that I have beautiful enthusiasm. Yeah, that makes you, me feel so good. Yeah, you took it and uh, and made it special. I gave you a water and flour, and you made a cake. <laughs> Ginny Owens well, with us here today. Ginny, thank I you. I love that you remember that. that thank way. you, Ginny. <laughs> Always wonderful to talk with you and have you in the studio with my card. So appreciate you. Thank you. Here's the song that they wrote together. Come as you are. Come, come as you are broken and scarred come leave your wilderness and come taste and see come and believe and bring your emptiness surrender your fear it is safe there is comfort here and peace from the storm if you're torn there is wholeness here For the Lord is good And His mercy never ending Oh, the Lord is good And His love is everlasting Won't you come? Come and see, come and be free, and let your heart proclaim in all He has done, He has shown mercy and kindness. Come and be glad, there is joy you have never had, and the love that will stay, that no one can ever take away for the Lord is good and his love is everlasting oh the Lord is good and his mercy never ending oh the Lord is good and his love is everlasting Oh, the Lord is good, and His mercy never-ending, won't you come? We're always glad to read your reactions to this program. You can send your comments, song requests, or questions to us when you write to in the studio at michaelcard.com. Again, in the studio at michaelcard.com. And could you help get the word out about this program by posting a review? Invite a friend to subscribe. Accessing the podcast is easy on Apple Podcasts and Spotify when you search for Michael Card. 
And we're glad to announce that Michael's latest book, The Nazarene, 40 Devotions on the Lyrical Life of Jesus, is available to order on our website. Look for the details about this companion resource at michaelcard.com. Again, michaelcard.com. And coming up, more music and conversation in just a moment here in the studio with Michael Card. Here's Michael with a word about the Christian Standard Bible. I'm glad we're partnering with the CSB. I got to see firsthand the way godly scholars work together on this Bible translation. Now I get to use the CSB in my study and teaching. There's so many types of editions available. I hope you'll find one that will help you get serious about reading God's Word. Visit csbible.com and explore the variety of options available to get this fresh translation into your hands. And when you order, receive your 30% discount on a CSB purchase through LifeWay. Type in the studio as one word in the promotion code for your 30% discount. The Christian Standard Bible, a great translation, a great selection, and now a great discount. Find a copy that fits your needs online at csbible.com. Type in the studio without spaces in the promotion code to receive the 30% discount when placing your order with LifeWay. Again, visit csbible.com. As we anticipate talking with Kevin Belmonte on the program in a moment, uh, Michael, you have a song you want to share with well, us right now. There's only one song that we can play before we talk to <laughs> Kevin. I know what it is. About Maltby Babcock, yeah. who wrote the words to... This is my father's world, right, so but has, I never knew that until you told me that. Well, I, I never knew that until I started kind of looking into the background of the song, and that's what drew me into Babcock, and then, then we talked Kevin yeah. into uh, an interest in Maltby Babcock, and now he's written a book. Maltby who? Maltby we'll Davenport Babcock. We'll find out when we talk with Kevin, but first, the song yeah. that started it all, This Is My Father's World. Which is what Babcock used to say to his wife. They lived along the Niagara River, and he would take walks in the morning, and he would say to his wife, I'm going to go and look at my father's world. Michael Card sings the song for us now. Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world, I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hands the wonders wrought. This is my father's world, the birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my Father's world He shines in all that's fair In the rustling grass I can hear Him pass 
He speaks to me everywhere. My father's world. Why should my heart be sad? He is just and kind. He is love defined. His grace, all the hope that I have. His grace, all the hope that I have. Michael, it wasn't too long ago that we talked about that song here on the program. Remember that? Uh, I, I do. I do remember because I talk about that song a lot. It, because uh, you say it's one of your favorites. It, it is, and the person who wrote the words to that song is a person that has really captured my imagination. All right, so. We're going to talk about that person today because uh, when Kevin Belmonte was on with us here recently, uh, you brought that name up, the author of the song, Maltby right. Babcock. Right, Maltby Davenport Babcock. And that struck a chord with our guest, Kevin Belmonte. So can we take credit for getting you in into the subject of uh, Babcock? Oh, absolutely. Wow, cool. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> Is it credit or blame? Uh, yes. <laughs> well, okay. Here, here's here, having turned sixty-two. Here's one of my new one of my new uh, truths. You're always looking for someone who's willing to do your homework for you, and that's what Kevin has done. He he launched into this research and has uh, and has finished a biography on Maltby Babcock. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to do it, and uh, very grateful to to lay the laurel of uh, praise at your feet, as it were. <laughs> wow, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's been a, a marvelous journey, and. Uh, you know, biographers get very grateful for that as they go along. You know, the, the timely suggestion, the the word and season kind mm-hmm. of thing, and uh, this has certainly mm-hmm. been that and this book journey. Well, Michael, what did you know about Babcock? Because I know you love the song, but did you know much about the man? Well, I had read, uh, he, he wrote a book uh, called uh, Letters from Egypt and Palestine when he, he did a trip to Israel. I, I'd read that book, and I had become interested in his his suicide. He He was a victim of suicide. And uh, but the, it, it, the information on him is is not exactly easy to to run down. It takes some digging, and that's that's one of the things that Kevin is really good at as a biographer is finding these obscure. He's always sending me obscure pictures and obscure quotes that he's dug up. And uh, I would be interested in knowing Kevin what impact you know spending that time with Babcock uh, had on you. Mm. Well, that's a. A big question. I'll try and uh, maybe isolate two or three things that, that stand out from my memory uh, as I researched and, uh, and wrote the book. I think, first of all, is the gift of spending company 
with a great soul, mm. uh, someone who loved the Lord, uh, sought to cultivate the many gifts that he had, and used them to help others learn about the hope of heaven. That's one takeaway. Mm. But then I have one uh, that I'd like to thank my wife, Kelly, for. Um, she helps me. She's a fellow English major, and she's a wonderful writer in her own right. Uh, but uh, she and I talked quite a little bit about Maltby Babcock's story. And of course, it's the end of his story is touched by tragedy. And she said something that really stuck with me as uh, I spoke about that with her. And she said, you know, the end of his life wasn't the entirety of his life. Hmm. That's good. And that, good, yeah. Isn't that something? Yes. It really set me back because, you know, when you hear about tragic circumstances bringing a close to someone's life, it, I think it can cast a pall, uh, sort of gray skies over the whole of someone's life, and we tend to forget that even though that, uh, that ending of tragedy is there, it's important, it's, it's wise to try and understand it and, and have lessons that we take away from it. There are so many other moments in a life, certainly a life like Maltby Babcock's, uh, that were full of joy, full of laughter, full of meaning, uh, f- uh, friends, fellowship, church settings, a whole host of experiences that weren't touched by those somber times. Uh, he was the first one to point to those somber times as a source, Michael, of what you call redemptive suffering. Mm-hmm. But having said that, um, I was very grateful for Kelly's insight that the, the end of his life was not the entirety of his life. Well, now, do you, do you have in mind... Uh, on one of those other occasions that was uh, that that would be a better represent representation of what his character was really like. I mean, you, and there must be a lot of stories that you have in your head. Mm. It's hard to pick. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the book is runs to well over two hundred pages in manuscript. Mm. So let me see if I can uh, flip through the three by five cards and come <laughs> up with one for you. Um, you know, I think I look to Baltimore, which is where he spent the bulk of his pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. and a couple uh, more lighthearted moments stand out to me. Uh, the bicycle craze was in its first uh, bloom at the end of the 19th century. People were getting on bicycles and, and riding them everywhere, and they weren't the kind of thing where you have the great big wheel in front and a little tiny wheel in the back. and. Mm-hmm. You know, it was dangerous to, to get up on one of those things. No, the bikes that I did some research on that because I wanted to find out, learning that Babcock was an athlete and he liked to ride a bicycle around Baltimore and, and make pastoral calls. Uh, I found a picture of a bike that looks an awful lot like a 10-speed today. Oh. So uh, he liked to do that, and it had uh, a really winsome way of opening uh, a window on his world from that time. What he did was... Uh, He'd go out and make pastoral calls, but if he'd see people he hadn't even met for the first time and they were on a bike, he'd sort of pull up alongside them and take a couple turns around the block and ask them what kind of bike they had and sort of compare notes as a cyclist. And before long, he'd strike up a friendship, and they'd be off to the ballpark to see the Baltimore Orioles play baseball or that kind of thing. Wow. And so, you know, the phrase that uh, I remember from the research and the writing was that people always saw the bicycle by Maltby Babcock's door, and it was a way of saying that he was always ready to reach out a hand in friendship or to visit those in need. And the other instance that relates to the bike I can think of is, Mike, something you and I have talked about quite a little bit, which is the way that he came alongside students who were in need, yeah. either at Johns Hopkins or other schools there in Baltimore, and, of course, Whenever people would see the bike, 
at the front entrance of a door, they usually knew that he was there trying to come alongside young people who needed a, a guiding hand and perhaps some very practical assistance with finances, yeah, that I, kind of thing. I know he helped. He would help students buy books and out of his own pocket and that sort of thing. I, that's one of the stories I do remember about him. Yes. And I was uh, asked to talk about it a little bit the other day to a friend. They asked me what I was up to, what I was writing. And so I told him that it was really extraordinary. He had such a cast a large shadow in a good way yeah. uh, there in Baltimore that when he left to go take a pastorate in New York City at Brick Presbyterian Church, uh, they, they sent a letter around that had all kinds of people sign, almost like a petition, yeah. you know, begging him not to leave. Yeah, from the, from the entire city, not just people in his church, right? That's I, right. Right. <laughs> so the, 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 the city doesn't want him to leave. <laughs> That's impact. He's, because he's such a godly man and uh-huh. has had such a deep impact. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yes. yet his name is so lost in time. It's really, I'm really grateful, Kevin, that you're bringing it back to us. Uh, you've sent along a photo of Maltby Babcock. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, even when we say his name, we have an image that comes to our mind. But in reality, he was a pretty cool dude, wasn't he? I mean, he, he looked very, like a man's man. Very athletic. Yeah. Yes, you know, and that gets to another one of those vignettes that uh, opened a window on his world. He was a fantastic athlete, not just a baseball player, but... Loved to swim, loved to play football. I found uh, a little description from a, a periodical in Japan, of all places, that said he loved <laughs> he loved to play cricket, loved to uh, go deep sea fishing, you know that kind of thing. He just was really an outdoorsman in the way that we tend to think of someone like his contemporary Teddy Roosevelt. Okay, I have to insert this here. That shows the kind of research that Kevin does. He found something in a journal in Probably Japan. Obscure, yeah, he, yes, yeah. So my hat's off to you, brother. <laughs> And, and by the way, you had me at baseball, Kevin. I, I, I knew that we couldn't have a conversation with Kevin without baseball coming into it. So, <laughs> well, we're uh, we're in hopes that the Cubs and the Red Sox will have better years next year. That's for sure. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, uh, what what drove this man? What what was his spiritual life like? Oh, I think that really gets to the heart of his story. Uh, he grew up in a family of faith. Uh, both sides of his family were devout. Uh, they were academic in terms of their background and training. They were college presidents and uh, members of the family who'd served on boards of trustees for educational institutions. Uh, you're very gifted, and that, that heritage of faith was, was re- there really from the beginning, I, I guess you'd have to say with him. Uh, it just was woven so deeply in who he was, and I think it comes out in his prose. Would you mind if I just read a little... A snippet of one of his quotes, I think it could explain it far better than I could. please do. This is a quote from him about communion, and I just, uh, I really love the the way that it's eloquent and deep and meaningful. So here it goes. We have this perpetual and unbroken feast in memory of our Lord. Why did he institute it? Because we so soon forget. Because we could forget even him. Mm. And in the unspeakable condescension of his love, he admitted that we might forget and gave us this tangible thing so that what might often be forgotten would not be always forgotten, that when we become too engrossed with things, we might be recalled to his love and his gift. Mm. Wish I could write like that. Well, (laughs) and and, and so important that we not simply remember this as the man who wrote the words to This Is My Father's World. But, uh, yeah, that, uh, and what's the phrase again? Uh, Unspeakable uh, condescension? That's not, that's not it. What was the, what was the phrase? 
Ah, here it is. The unspeakable condescension of his love. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually read that in Beekner. Frederick Beekner used that phrase. So he must have gotten that from Babcock. So I think it's important. His life as an introduction is important. But uh, I think another thing that Kevin is working on is is getting Babcock's writings. Mm-hmm. Uh, aren't you working on a, collect, a collection so of this the is best? A separate book, is it? Yeah. You know, you write a biography, and, and as is your want, you know, we've used the image of the three by five cards metaphorically. I set aside quotes as I go along, and uh, because Dr. Babcock had such an eloquent pen, or people who took down his sermons found that hit the spoken word, you know, things extemporaneously were so eloquent, mm. there are really probably about five, six hundred pages from the different books that came out after his passing that are just studded with gems like the one that I shared with you, and so I've been trying to collect the best of them for what I hope will be sort of a through-the-year book or perhaps a devotional reading companion volume. Mm -hmm. Well, again, Kevin, I I love your work because without it, here's a name that would would be lost to me. You know, uh, Michael always said, well, this was written by a guy named Maltby Babcock, and I just sort of let that slide by. Who cares? Who was that man? Who cares? And, and Kevin, you've really filled in the blanks for us here. Well, thank you. You know, that's part of the, the blessing that comes with being a biographer. You know, you get to keep company with these great men and women from the past. You, you understand movements that guided and shaped their lives, and you feel like you've come upon a cache of buried treasure. And in my case, I just love to hand out shovels so that other people can take part <laughs> yeah. in it. Well, it, you, in, a really, in a very real sense, you rescued him from history. Hmm. Well, I hope so. I mean, he certainly is deserving uh, of people's time and attention and their interest. I mean... He's very good company. People warm to him. Hmm. Uh, there was a, you know, I, I'm reticent to use the word magnetism, but there was a charisma about him mm-hmm. that was just so natural and unforced. You know, people came away, even if they only spent just a few minutes in his company, they felt like they were the better for it. Mm-hmm. That's a quality, an unusual quality in men, isn't it? It is. Uh, and when we read stories like this, biographies like this, we realize that we're part of a stream, a longer stream. Believers are part of a, of a heritage of people who have gone before us who believe the same yeah. thing we believe, which is always encouraging to me. Oh, I think so. I mean, the imagery of the cloud of witness comes to mind straight away. Yes, yes. But then I, I also think of the flow of history between eternity past and eternity to come chapters being written in a book, and the people from the past are earlier chapters in the book, but then our time, our chapters come along, and sometimes those, those lines of the narrative, they intersect, and we get to spend time with those, those great souls from the past, and mm. somehow the story is renewed, you know, God's blessing is renewed on uh, moments from the past, people from the past. We carry that forward, and in an act of stewardship, just as we tell people about the great characters from the Bible, we can tell them about men and women from the past who still have a lot to teach us. Mm. And Kevin, I, I admire your tenacity in these things too, because I don't know for a fact, but it doesn't seem like you're given a big royalty up front for writing this and doing all the research. How long does it take to research a life like this and produce a book the way you've done? Mm. Well, I suppose, to be honest, every journey is different. There are things that you can anticipate, some things not so much. Uh, but typically, and uh, I'm very grateful for the common grace of technology, it's been a huge boon to my research. So many books that I'd have to visit rare book repositories or go and, 
actually physically be present in different places where materials are kept. I don't have to do that so much anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to be much more prolific and turn things around more quickly in terms of access to materials. So many things are online. Books that Babcock wrote, books by people who knew him, articles you know, from all places all over the globe. They're really sort of at your fingertips if you become skilled in searching. You, know, you have to yeah. have that right search term to, to bring things up. But it's been a huge boon in this case. Uh, I think the book probably took about six months for a lot of the spade work to, to make sure I had a good grasp of the materials. And then maybe toward the end of that time, two or three months toward the end of that time, uh, actual sitting down and writing. Because some of the first thoughts that come to you when you read something, sometimes they're the best thoughts. Mm. So you jot those down as you go, and then you actually sit down and you you block things out uh, with an outline. So yeah, I'd probably say six, seven months all told. Wow. Wow. That's an incredible commitment. Um, You must have other names rattling around in your head of people that you'd like to write about. Can you share any of those? Yeah, no, I've been reading of late about uh, the great uh, cricketer and missionary C.T. Studd. Oh, yeah. Hmm. And uh, his story fascinates me, you know, that the whole story of the Cambridge Seven, these famous athletes, these famous collegians, many of who came from wealth and privilege, but in the late 19th century, and Studd was the most famous because he was uh, probably one of the most gifted if not the most gifted all-around cricket player in England at the time. Hmm. So his, he was a household name, and for him, along with these six other friends, to resolve to go to the mission field uh, had a huge impact on the student volunteer movement. And, of course, because his timeline overlaps with Malby Babcock, I mean, I haven't found a direct quotation from one of these two men about the other, but they certainly knew who they, each other were. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in a period of time... Uh, you read around, and often the next lead for a biography comes from the research and the yeah. one you're doing at the time. Yeah, I heard David McCulloch say something about that. Uh, he was doing um, Roosevelt, and that mm-hmm. led to the next book. Yeah, right. that makes sense. Is it fair to say that the problem with some of the biographies is there's too much stuff to read, and then with someone like Babcock, you have to dig a little deeper to find anything at all to read? Oh, Mike, that's a very perceptive yeah. thought. It, it's true. Um, Sometimes when you encounter a person or a subject that's just a lot in the literature, as they say, the task is really winnowing it down. In Babcock's case, it was very much, as you described, where there is a lot of material out there, but it takes a lot of uh, rolling up your sleeves work to bring it, all, uh, bring it all to light and then put it in chronological order. Um, that is often a great challenge for a biographer because a lot of the sources aren't really good about dates. Yeah, And so sometimes it's like taking a, I don't know, maybe a 5,000-word puzzle, piece puzzle, and, and <laughs> you sort of empty it out on the table, and then you go to look at the cover that's your reference point for how to put it all together, and, and there are pieces missing from the cover. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite a, a bit of detective work, I guess I'd have to say, sometimes. Mm, fascinates but, me. But, uh, yeah, it's very rewarding. Yeah. Well, we are grateful for your friendship and for your work, yes. Kevin Belmonte. Uh, thank you, Kevin. We look forward to uh, seeing this this book, This Life of Maltby Babcock. Thanks for doing our homework for us, Kevin. <laughs> You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you very much.
Mike, as we wrap up, I have an interesting comment from a listener. It fits in with that conversation just now. This listener, Blair, says, After a disheartening evening of work yesterday, this was bomb for my soul. Mm. He quotes your lyrics, Stranded in time and weary with struggling with sin. Mm. Sadly, he says, we make life harder than it has to be. Thanks again for the blessings of music and good teaching. Yeah, but in an interesting way that Jesus enters into that struggle with us. I mean, we've heard about that when we talked to Jenny about Jesus weeping. I mean, he enters into the mm-hmm. struggles of, you know, Mary and Martha who are struggling with the death of their brother. Um, yeah, uh, so we're not alone in that struggle. No, no. Doesn't remain aloof, does he? Well, He's right it, there in the midst he of doesn't it. Ma- he doesn't wave the magic wand and make it go away. He makes it meaningful by entering into it. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. And that's good Indeed. news. Right. Yeah. And uh, thanks to our friend Kevin for uh, bringing us a, a full circle report on Maltby Babcock yes. here today. Yeah, uh, yeah. like I said, I heard my, I heard my uh, comment at the end there. Oh, we're always looking for people to do our homework for us, and Kevin did that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, thank you. I urge our listeners to get a copy of your newest book, The Nazarene, 40 Devotions on the Lyrical Life of Jesus. Mm. And uh, when I got mine in the uh, mail, I, I commented on Facebook that I wasn't getting anything else done that day. Oh, good. But I've since discovered that these are really meant to be daily devotions kind of things. So yeah, it's nice to actually you know go on Spotify or something and listen to the song and read the lyric and then read the essay. That's what it's designed to to be. Great idea. Thanks, Mike. You're welcome. You can extend the impact of this teaching you've heard from Michael. His new book, The Nazarene: Forty Devotions on the Lyrical Life of Jesus, is now available to order on our website. Find out more about this companion resource at michaelcard.com. And we want to remind you to check out our sponsors at the Christian Standard Bible when you visit csbible.com. Find an edition that fits your needs. And when you order, use the promotion code in the studio, typed with no spaces, to receive your 30% discount on CSB purchases through Lifeway. The Christian Standard Bible at csbible.com. And we hope you'll join us for next week's podcast release, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening to this edition of In the Studio with Michael Card.